Good morning, church family. It's so good to gather with you this morning. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. My name is Oren Martin. I serve as the Senior Director of Equipping, and it is so good to be able to bring God's Word to us this morning. Let's pray together as we begin. Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to be able to come to you. We don't take that privilege lightly as we just sung. We don't come to you by our own merit. Nothing, nothing we can do in and of ourselves can earn your approval. We sin. We're sinned against and we sin in response. We fall far short of your glory. We've not loved you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have not loved others as ourselves. We have not obeyed your commands. And the only basis upon which we can come to you and have confidence that you hear us is in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Your word says that the word of God proves true. That you are a shield to those who take refuge in you. So I pray this morning that we would stand under your word and that we would take refuge in you, that we would be reminded of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians that we don't come to you boasting in and of ourselves. We come to you boasting in the only one who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. The one who has become for us our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption. So I pray if there's anyone in here this morning who needs wisdom, that you would give it. Who needs righteousness, that you would give it. Who needs sanctification and growth and holiness, that you would give it. Who needs redemption, that you would give it. And that we would trust in the one who has achieved that for us. Your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we begin, let me just give you the, the main point from, from the get-go. The main point this morning that I want us to see from 1 Peter chapter 3 is that relationships and suffering are opportunities to display and proclaim our hope in Christ. Relationships and suffering are opportunities to display and proclaim our hope in Christ. So let's read 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll start in verses 8 and we'll go verse 8 and we'll go through verse 17. Finally, all of you. So so just to give you a clue, this isn't the end of Peter's letter. We're not finishing this week. So some of you are excited. Hey, we're going to move on. No, we're not moving on. This is just the the conclusion of this section of Peter's letter. It's, it's, uh, you know, if you've ever received a letter and you think it's drawing to a close, and then maybe you've listened to a sermon, you think the the preacher's drawing to a close and then gets a second wind. Well, Peter's going to get a second wind. We're going to keep going through chapters three and four and five in the next few weeks. But Peter draws to a conclusion this section. Finally, all of you, not just citizens of the government, not just husbands, not just wives, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Because to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. 
For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. So have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's within you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Now, before we jump into this passage, I want to do a little thought experiment with you. Let's see how Peter, the author of this letter, measured up to his own words during the life and ministry of Jesus. Peter says, have unity of mind. Sympathy, brotherly love, compassion, and a humble mind. Now, when you think about these, these virtues, these, these, uh, this fruit of the Spirit, does, does Peter's name rise to the top as we think about the Gospels during the life and ministry of Jesus? Unity of mind? I mean, after that amazing moment where Peter confesses Christ, the Lord, the, the Son of the living God, and Jesus blesses him for for confessing his identity. And Jesus takes that moment to tell Peter, now that you know who I am, let me tell you why I came. I'm gonna suffer and I'm going to die and I'm going to rise on the third day. And you remember what Jesus did? In that moment, he did not have unity of mind with Jesus. He rebuked him. To which Jesus responded and said, Satan, get behind me. That doesn't sound like unity of mind. What about humility? Think about John 13, when when Jesus stooped down the God of the universe who created everything, who sustains everything by the word of his power as he stooped down to wash Peter's feet. What did Peter do? He didn't want him to do it. That's not humility. Letting someone else serve you. Okay, how about these words? Do not repay evil for evil, but be gentle. What did Peter do when Jesus was arrested? You remember, he drew out a sword, he struck the servant's ear and cut off his, he struck the servant and cut off his ear. Fail. Have no fear of them or be troubled. How about that? How did Peter do? Well, think about it. As Jesus made his way to the cross, what did Peter do? He, as the text says, he followed Jesus at a distance because he was, he was afraid of being associated with Jesus. Fail. How about these words? Set apart Christ as Lord, always ready to give a defense. Okay, here we go. He had the perfect opportunity. Someone came and asked him, hey, 
Haven't I seen you with Jesus? Don't, don't you know who Jesus is? There it is, teed up. There's a pitch right down the middle. Hit a home run, Peter. What does he do? I don't know. He denied him, not once, not twice, three times. Failed again. How in the world was Peter qualified to give these instructions to this suffering church, to these suffering Christians? Well, fast forward from the gospels into Acts. Who is it in Acts chapter two who stands up and proclaims Christ in the face of opposition? It's the apostle Peter preaching Christ calling people to turn from their sin and to trust in him. Fast forward to chapters three and four. With all boldness, they proclaimed Christ. Even though they were uneducated men, they were recognized as having been with Jesus, Acts 4 tells us. Later on in Acts chapter 12, Peter is literally standing alongside James, the disciple of Jesus the brother of John. And Peter watches James be killed for his faith in Christ and his witness of Christ. Peter literally stood there watching. And what did Peter do? He proclaimed Christ. He was imprisoned. And when he got out of prison, what did he do? He proclaimed Christ. The Christian tradition tells us that Peter would later on be martyred for his faith in Christ and his proclamation of Christ. Now, you might be asking, what, what could make the difference? Why the change? There's only one answer because Peter met the resurrected Christ. Peter stood face to face with the resurrected Christ and everything changed. And now as Peter writes to Christians scattered from their homes, as we saw a few weeks ago as we, we kicked off 1 Peter, to elect exiles, those who had been chosen by God in Christ, those who, who had been scattered from their homes and suffering for following Jesus, now Peter wants to encourage them with their hope in Christ. We saw in chapter one that they were born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In chapter one, verse 13, he calls Christians to set their hope fully on the revelation to be brought to you at the coming of Jesus Christ. Chapter one, verse 21 says that their faith and their hope are in God. We saw last week in chapter three, how women who, who hoped in God lived out that hope in their marriages, calling on, on women in Peter's day to hope in God by, by living with their unbelieving husbands in ways that display their hope in Christ. So Peter, writing into this situation, has a word to say to us this morning, that we might hope in Christ and that we might find our hope in Christ no matter what comes. Now a quick word on suffering. In, in Peter's context, we see that they were enduring suffering and persecution for their faith in Jesus. In Peter's time, when he was writing this letter, there, there was not yet, there would come in, in, in a few years, kind of government, state-sanctioned persecution of Christians. 
here it was more local and sporadic, but, but persecution and hostility towards Christians was ramping up. And so Peter was writing into a context where they were facing suffering. They were facing persecution for their belief in Jesus. Now we, in in our context here in Dallas, Texas, may not be facing the exact same kind of suffering that they were facing in their day. But scripture also tells us that we can think of suffering more broadly. Right, there's a, there's a spectrum of suffering, right? That scripture tells us that we, that we fight, that we battle, that we struggle in Christ against the world, the flesh and the devil. We have a, a, a lion, right? Who, who is seeking someone to devour. He wants to bring you down, Christian. He doesn't want you to follow Christ. He doesn't want you to be a witness to Christ in your workplace or in your relationships or family. Romans 8 tells us that that all of creation groans under the the brokenness of sin. Earthquakes and tornadoes and tsunamis. Not just creation, but, but we ourselves, Romans 8 tells us, we groan under the brokenness of sin. Our bodies get sick. We struggle with health. We lose loved ones. We're faced with death. And even maybe even more so, we, we, we can be insulted, even in our own context, we can be insulted with, with words because of our faith in Jesus. Maybe you have been in your workplace and in your family, maybe you've been ostracized, you've been made fun of, you've been excluded because of your faith in Christ and desire to honor him with your life. So, so maybe we're not suffering injury like Peter's audience was, We all are experiencing suffering in some capacity as a result of living in this broken world as followers of Jesus. And Peter has something to say to us this morning. This is the first thing I want us to see from this passage. Relationships with believers are opportunities to display our hope in Christ. Relationships with believers are opportunities to display our hope in Christ. Peter begins by telling Christians to to, to have certain things in their relationships with one another. He says, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Many have noted there's a, there's a literary structure. You'd even kind of see it in the, the, the uh, correlation between words in this passage. There's a literary structure in these five words. The, the outside words, unity of mind and humble mind go together. They focus on the mind. The inner words, sympathy and tender heart go together. Maybe they target the emotions. And the central word, brotherly love, our affections, is is right at the middle to to show us it it is the engine from which the other qualities flow. We might think of it this way. Affection, love for our brothers and sisters in Christ that's why this word, right, brotherly love, it's, it's familial love, not just a generic love, but a family love for our brothers and sisters in Christ produces two things. 
One, it produces Christ-like humility through which we lay aside our preferences to serve others. Christ-like humility through which we lay aside, put aside our preferences in order to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. And secondly, this brotherly love produces Christ-like compassion, mercy, through which we meet their needs. It's kind of how these, these qualities fit together. And it's interesting if you, if you think about those qualities, humility, compassion. These qualities aren't something that we can conjure up on our own. These qualities, these, these characteristics are, are actually fruit of the Spirit. Something only the Spirit who indwells those who've trusted, put their faith in Christ and received Him and follow Him. Only the Spirit can produce these qualities. While we understand that Matthew 7, for example, Jesus says, a bad tree produces bad fruit. But a good tree produces good fruit. So we can only produce good fruit of humility, compassion, sympathy, unity through being connected to the vine, Jesus Christ, and, and having the, the indwelling of his spirit who then makes it possible for us to have these qualities. Now, why does Peter tell them this? Why does Peter instruct them to have these qualities in their relationships with fellow Christians? Well, because they were suffering. And as we all know, hardships and difficulties can, can bear down and put pressure on relationships. When we're under stress, we can, we can often lash out at others. And what is Peter's answer to the problem? His answer is remember that you are a family. You are in Christ and therefore brothers and sisters in Christ, members of one another. When, when, when one of you suffers, all of you suffer. When one of you rejoices, all of you rejoice. Watermark family, do you know that, that we have more in common with each other? By virtue of our common bond in Christ than with any unbelieving family member? We have more in common with each other by virtue of our common bond in Christ than any earthly relationship. And that brings privileges, it brings responsibilities. It's, it's why the New Testament is replete with, with commands to, to bear one another's burdens and to love one another and to speak the truth in love and to have compassion and to have sympathy in all the one another's, dozens and dozens. It's, it's why we, we take meaningful membership seriously. Because we all struggle, we all suffer in all kinds of different ways. And we need to be reminded of our hope in Christ. We need to be reminded that, that we are called to persevere as we walk in Christ and testify to Christ. It's, it's, it's why we, we prize verses like Galatians 6, 2, that we are called to, to bear one another's burdens. Because we need each other to, to run the Christian race to the end. Do you see others who are hurting as obstacles to your comfort 
obstacles and inconveniences or as opportunities to show the compassion that Christ has shown you. Ephesians 4.32 says to be kind to one another, to have mercy on one another, to to look on others in their lowly estate and to to have compassion on them, to, to help them. Being tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Why? As God in Christ has forgiven you. Do you get the connection? Have compassion and forgive. Why? Because God in Christ has forgiven and have compassion on you. To the extent that we know and feel God's compassion toward us in Christ will be to the same extent that we sympathize with and extend mercy to others. I mean, think about it. What, what difference would it make if we, if we were driving in on Sunday mornings and, 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 we, and we come into this space with this question in our minds, how can I love my brother and sister in Christ this morning? How can I help bear their burdens? During our, our time that we, it all makes us feel awkward, right? Where we, we meet strangers, right? Behind us and in front of us and to our left and to our right. If we came in with the, with the explicit intention of how can I pray for you? How's your week been? Have you been struggling? Are you struggling to believe God's promises? We would pray, show me where they need encouragement. Empower me to encourage them with the hope-giving, grace-giving news of the gospel. Watermark family, brothers and sisters in Christ, we must remember that we are family. When we fight each other, we're fighting the wrong enemy. And we're not family by natural right. We don't lay claim to be part of God's family in and of ourselves by our own merits. No, there's only one person who can lay claim to that by his own merit, and that's the son, the second person of the Godhead, who is son by nature, God of God, true God of true God. And the son who is son by nature has made you and me sons and daughters by grace. And how did he do this? By humbling himself, by having compassion on us. He laid aside his preferences. Philippians 2 tells us, right? That though he was in the form of God, though he was equal with God, he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be used for his own advantage, but rather he humbled himself by taking the form of a servant, by becoming man and dying on a cross. That he might bring us into the family of God. So we should come into these these gatherings and, and come into our community groups with the explicit intention by God's grace and spirit who indwells us to encourage, to speak words of grace, to get words of hope, to remind each other of our hope that is ours in Christ. Secondly, relationships with unbelievers our opportunities to display our hope in Christ. Relationships with unbelievers are opportunities to display our hope in Christ. So not only our relationships with believers, but also our relationships with unbelievers. Now I'm sure that many of you have encountered opposition for following Christ in your family, in your workplace, in your relationships. 
How do we respond when people ridicule or insult or shame or exclude or ostracize us for being Christians? What does Peter say? Peter says to get even. No, he doesn't say to get even. Peter says to bless. It's hard to imagine Peter not having the the words of Jesus in the back of his mind. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you on my account. Rejoice and be glad. He doesn't say blessed are you when you retaliate, that you exchange words, that you get them back, that you make them feel small, guilty. No. He says to bless. I love a good game of back and forth offense. I did not love Thursday night when my Aggies failed to go back and forth. It's the life of an Aggie. It's the life we're called to suffer. (laughs) But I love home runs. I mean, just goal for goal, home run for home run, touchdown for touchdown, field goal for field goal. It's amazing. It's exciting. Everybody hates a Super Bowl that's three to zero. It's boring. That back and forth is amazing. It's exhilarating. But you know what? That's exciting in sports, but not in our relationships. And the command is not simply to don't get even. It's not just on the negative, don't get even. It's actually on the positive, to bless them. How how do we bless others in the face of insults? By praying for them, by proclaiming the, the good news of God's grace that's found in Christ, that found and saved us, that same grace they can find and save them. It's by remembering and and helping each other to to remember that Jesus loved us while we were his enemies. That God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. In fact, think about Jesus as he's hanging on the cross. What is he doing? He's praying for his enemies. God, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's not just Jesus, we see that. It's Stephen as he's being persecuted and he's being killed, being stoned for his faith and proclamation of Jesus. What is he doing? He's saying, Father, forgive them. As Saul stands on and looks approvingly as Stephen is murdered for following Jesus. And you know what, friends? God heard Stephen's prayer because God saved Saul. And then we see Paul in his life and ministry pronouncing blessings on his enemies, on those who persecuted him. Only the gospel can do this. And that's why we need to remember and to help each other remember that in the face of suffering, in the face of hardship, in the face of difficulty, we can bless others. Now, just as a side note, I I do wanna say that this verse and and the ones from last week on on marriage, particularly the the instructions uh, to to wives, these have been sinfully used to excuse abuse. But we must not make this application, right? Peter, earlier in the letter, clearly affirms the good and protective nature of government. And he tells us to submit to its authority. And part of obeying, part of submitting to the law of the land 
is reporting abuse to our authorities. Right? So, 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 we, so we aren't just called to like, oh, just bear up. No, report it. Get out of harm's way. So these are two different issues. Peter's talking about people insulting you for your faith, shaming you, mocking you. And Peter calls you and Peter calls me to the radical life that follows in the footsteps of Jesus, who when reviled, didn't revile in return, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And why are we to bless? To answer this question, Peter quotes Psalm 34 in verses 10 through 12. And he basically says that that we are to do this so that we might enjoy the good life, right? To enjoy the good life is to pursue peace, right? We understand that that just as a matter of living in this world, when we pursue peace with others in our relationships and in our workplaces, when we pursue peace, things generally go well. I've never been in a job interview when, my, when my, the, the one interviewing me says, now, are you a person that, uh, that creates a lot of conflict? Because we're, we're really looking for a person who, who is really, really combative, who really loves to stir up division and conflict. You're the person we're looking for. No. We want people who make peace, right? And, and it's generally too that when Christians pursue peace, when they seek peace, it generally will go well. Right, these verses point in that direction, right? That the Lord's favor is on those who trust in him and live in peace with others. It says that he will bless them and that blessing will be enjoyed now. Why? What's the, what's the motivation? So that we might obtain a blessing. What is that blessing? Well, there's two parts of it. We have a blessing now tells us in verse 12 that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But there's also a future blessing. Eschatological future life in the very presence of God. So God will bless us and that blessing will be enjoyed both now and in the life to come. Who's watched don't, don't say it out loud, but who just in your, maybe in your own, well, raise your hand. Who's watched the, the TV show Undercover Moth? Anybody? Hey, a few of you. You all know kind of the premise of the show. Senior executives go undercover in their own companies to evaluate their business and employees. Now, would you, don't raise your hand, would you work differently if this knowingly happened to you? If you knew that, the exec, that your company's executive was coming in to work with you, alongside you, would you work differently? I would say probably yes. Well, brother and sister in Christ, do you know that the eyes of the Lord are on you? Right now, when you go home, when you're in your workplace, when you're hanging out with your friends, when you're in your community group, It says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Now, pay attention to this. Why are the eyes of the Lord upon us? To punish us? No. Is God waiting around the corner ready to zap us when we do something wrong? No, we might have that view of God, but it's a wrong view of God. What is it? It's to hear our prayer. His eyes are his favor, are on his children, on his sons and daughters in Christ. He's there to to see us. 
He's there to, to hear our prayer when we're going through difficulties. No act of faithful obedience goes unseen. No suffering is wasted. No gracious word spoken is forgotten, is missed. And that brings blessing. Enjoying the, the approval and the blessed presence of our Father. And how can we do this? It's important to see again, we can't do this by ourselves. Did you notice those little words in verse nine? On the contrary, bless for or because to this you were called. That's an, that's an amazing word. Peter actually has said it several times throughout his letter. In 115, he says that you've been called from death in sin to life in Christ. And chapter two, verse nine says that you've been called out of darkness into light. Chapter two, verse 21 says that you are called to follow Christ because Christ died for you. Chapter five, verse 10, it says that you've been called into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus. So it's important to see that, that in his calling of you is the creating of new life that then enables and empowers you to what? To bless. The gospel is not Christ died for you, you're forgiven, now go do these 10 things on your own. No, the gospel has the power not only to save us, but to empower us and enable us to live transformed lives, lives that bless in the face of insult. However, verse 12 says, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Right? This tells us that for those who have not turned from their sin, who have not put their trust in Jesus alone to be the righteousness that they need, to be the redemption that they need, to be the wisdom that they need, to be the sanctification and holiness that they need, the face is against, his face is against those. And because he is holy and must punish sin, his face is against those who practice, who live persistently in evil. And that punishment will be for eternity. That is a weighty, weighty consequence to imagine. And if you're here this morning, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ to be what you need for you, and today you can do it. Today can be the day that you place your trust in Jesus Christ to become your righteousness. This brings us to our last point. Suffering is an opportunity to proclaim our hope in Christ. We see this in verses 13 through 17. In the face of suffering and the call to bless, Peter asks a question. Who is there to harm you if you pursue what is good? Now, imagine you're Peter's audience. And you hear that, who, who is there to harm you? And you're thinking in your mind, well, I can think of a lot of people. I can think of, a, I just got persecuted yesterday at my workplace, um, ostracized and separated because I followed Christ. I've lost friends, I've lost family, I've lost I mean, my unbelieving husband or my unbelieving wife, hate me, it's caused division in my, in my marriage and hardship. You can rattle off a whole kinds of things to your Peter's audience. But notice the verb tenses here. Who is there, present tense, to harm you, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you what? You will be blessed. In other words, Peter has the future in view. 
Yes, even though they can harm us now, we will be blessed finally. One of the early church Christians named Justin Martyr said, you can kill us, but you cannot harm us. This has the ring of of Romans 8.31. If God's for us, who can be against us? Who can condemn us? If God gave up his own son, how will he also with him freely give us all things? Who's gonna condemn you? No one, why? Because Jesus Christ died for your sin. Not only that, he rose from the dead. He's seated now on his throne and he's interceding for you and nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, nothing and no one can take away our hope in Christ, no matter what comes. Now, Jen Wilkin says that you can summarize 1 Peter in this way. We should be willing to suffer unjustly because Christ suffered unjustly to bring us to God. We should be willing to suffer unjustly because Christ suffered unjustly to bring us to God. We'll talk about that next week. And it's important to see that Peter describes three kinds of suffering in this passage. I've seen in the three Joes of the Old Testament, Jonah, Joseph, and Job. Jonah, Joseph, and Job. First, they're suffering for the consequences of sin. Think of Jonah. He suffered because he didn't trust in God and instead ran from him. I did a lot of this kind of suffering before I became a Christian. I suffered a lot for doing dumb things. That's not the kind of suffering Peter has in mind here. He has in mind this kind of suffering, the suffering of Joseph, right? For suffering and believing and doing what's right. right, He trusted God and his promises and accepted the consequences of doing such. And God used his suffering to save others, like Paul who suffered in prison in Acts chapter 16. God used his suffering to bring people to faith in him. And the third kind of suffering is Job-like suffering, where where we don't always understand the reason behind it. God changes us in and through it, but we don't always know what he's doing in the world. It's a mystery to us. And what does Peter say in response to to Joseph-like suffering and Job-like suffering? Peter says that, that we can pursue what's good and right and still suffer. Christian, we need to get rid of the idea that the Christian life is a happy, clappy, suffering-free life. This is not the kind of life that Jesus lived. It's not the kind of life that most Christians in the world live who suffer for their faith in Africa, Nigeria, Iran, Afghanistan, India, Turkey, China, you name it, the Middle Eastern, North African region. Last year alone, 2022, about 6,000 Christians were persecuted for their faith. Operation World, a great resource, tells us that about one in seven Christians in the world suffer for their faith. And so we need to teach our kids to expect suffering in this life. If we teach them that if they do their part, then God will bless them and God will grant them wealth. Everything will be smooth sailing. When they face hardship, when they don't get that job for standing up for what's right, when they're taken advantage of, when they struggle with health, when their marriage is filled with hardship, when death comes, they'll think, God, I did everything right. What's wrong with you? I thought you loved me. Our kids need to understand that in moments of suffering, that this world is broken and that Jesus suffered and died 
and rose again that he might strengthen us to endure suffering, to follow in his footsteps as we await that blessing of glory. And as we testify to his name of a suffering savior who's triumphant over sin and death. And we can trust his promise that in, that, in light of eternity, this is light and momentary affliction, as Paul says. And God will work it out for our good. And Peter goes on to say that suffering is an opportunity to point others to Jesus. When you go through difficulties with unshakable joy and hope, people will be curious and they will ask questions. Right? These, these countercultural ways of living when, when suffering and hardship come and yet they see your consistent joy, not perfect, but consistent joy and hope in Jesus Christ. They're gonna ask, why are you different? And in that moment, we can give answers of because I've been pursued and saved by and given hope in Christ. When people ask us, we can give the answer because of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Christian, are you living a life that demands a question? Perhaps no one is asking because our lives don't look any different than the world. And perhaps you're sitting there thinking, but you know what? I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I'll, I'll leave that to somebody else who's more eloquent with their, with their words. Christian, you don't have to have the gift of evangelism. You don't have to have the gift of sharing the gospel to share the hope that is in you. You don't have to have the gift of eloquence to share the hope that is in you. Yes, others may be able to share the gospel better than you, but no one will be able to share a better gospel. So drink deeply from the waters of the gospel, of remembering who you were in your sin, separated, alienated from God, by nature a children of wrath, but God in his mercy with the great love with which he loved you and loved me, saved us. We've been united to Christ in his death and in his resurrection. We've been raised with Christ and seated with Christ and we've been given an eternal inheritance and the spirit is a down payment of our inheritance to come. Remember your hope in Christ that cannot be taken away. And listen to how Peter says to share it with gentleness toward others and with, with reverence or fear or worship toward God, having a good conscience. So not only what we speak, but how we speak in the moment. Because the only offense we give is the offense of the cross. Not our manner, not our methods, not our motives. We are full of gentleness and respect because God has graciously given us what we don't deserve. And this readiness comes from a heart that is prepared because it loves and is devoted to Jesus Christ as Lord. And so we set him apart as such, as the one who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so as we conclude, Remember that as Christians that we have been called to bless in the face of suffering. You and I will suffer in this life as a result of living in this broken world. 
Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you are Christian. You've placed your faith in Jesus and yet you come into this room and you're hopeless. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe you've, you've lost a, a loved one. Maybe you're, you're facing difficulties at work. We, we, want to, we want to pray with you. There'll be people at the front as we conclude the service. There'll be people down here who want to talk with you, who want to pray for you, who want to, to speak the truth and love to you, to encourage you and to remind you of your hope in Christ. If you're not a Christian here this morning, let me just say that we are so glad you're here. If you have not turned from your sin and you have not trusted in Jesus, in his life and his death and in his resurrection that is able to save sinners like you and a sinner like me, then you can do that today. Come down, we want to talk with you. We want to pray for you. Christian, remember that they can take a lot of things from us but they can't take away Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Thank you that in Christ, you have provided the merit that we could not provide on our own. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in Christ who has become for us our righteousness and redemption and sanctification and wisdom. That through faith in him, we have received a righteousness that is not of our own, but a righteousness that's from you because we have been united to the righteous one. Help us this morning know more deeply. Help us to be comforted by those words that that those who hear Christ's voice as his sheep are kept by the shepherd, that no one will be able to snatch us from his hand. Remind us this morning of our hope that is ours in Christ. Help us to speak these words of life-giving hope to our brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. We pray these things in his name. Amen.